2 Timothy chapter 1, we began last week, and just a quick recap, we, we learned how Paul is encouraging Timothy to be shaped by prayer, to be shaped by others, and to be shaped by discipline. And we looked at how he has given us a, a, this spirit of, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And Paul encouraged Timothy in that and, and, and encouraged him, hey, hang on, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the gospel, Timothy. And, and, and we explored last week about how um, Paul is writing this letter from um, a, a prison. Uh, his execution date is soon to be set. He knows that this is the end for him. And so this letter to this young pastor in Ephesus, Timothy, um, is out of urgency. I want you to hear what I have to say, Timothy. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, this morning we will begin in verse 8. But in 2nd century AD, there was this elderly gentleman who was a disciple of John, Apostle John, we believe, and his name was Polycarp. And Polycarp held tightly to the gospel, held tightly to Jesus all of his life. And there came this point in Polycarp's life where he was being persecuted for his faith. And they, they are, they, they, there's this letter written from um, the perspective of those who watched the martyrdom of Polycarp, and it's simply called that, the martyrdom of Polycarp. You can, you can Google it and find the document. You can read the document um, online. But the martyrdom of Polycarp is written um, in, in such a way that they watched what happened to Polycarp. And then they sent what they had written to the churches, and it ignited the church to say we will stand for Jesus at all costs. And the reason it did is because Polycarp, as the letter goes, is, is searched for and they can't find him. And then, and then um, Polycarp's uh, kind of caretaker, if you will, gives him up and, and they find him and they arrest Polycarp. And, and, and Polycarp comes before the council and the council basically says, renounce Jesus Christ. And Polycarp says this in response to them, first asking um, to renounce Jesus. They're going to throw it up on the screen. He says this, 80 and six years have I served him and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? That was Polycarp's response at 86 years old. I've served him this long. Why would I stop now? And so they send Polycarp to the stake to be burned alive. And they tie him to the stake and, and, and they light the fire around him and the flames begin to go up. And Polycarp's response in this is, whew, Polycom's response is he begins to pray. 
And he says, thank you, God, that you count me worthy to die for Christ. Thank you, God, that you counted me worthy to die for Christ. And the flames begin to burn and nothing happens to Polycarp. He sits in the flames and they don't burn him up. And it infuriates the council. And they take spears and they stab Polycarp and, and end his life. But the damage to the enemy had already been done when a believer stood in the face of death and said, I count it all joy to be counted worthy to die for my Savior. And it ignited the church to say we will stand for Jesus. So our aim is simply this this morning. Find joy in sharing, suffering for, and guarding the gospel. Find joy in sharing, suffering for, and guarding the gospel. My hope is that, is that all of us at some point in our life could reach a point that, God, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who comes after me. It doesn't matter my circumstance. I will count it joy to serve you anyway, anyhow, and in the face of anything. So Paul tells Timothy some things. He gives him three exhortations, three encouragements. Hey, Timothy, here's how to live your life. As, as I'm looking to death, and, and, and what does Paul say about death? Right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul's looking at his death, coming on and going, man, I, if I live here, I get Jesus. If I die, I get Jesus. Either way, I win. But he tells Timothy, in, in the midst and the coming soon of his death, he says these things. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but sharing in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Let's just stop there in verse 8. The first exhortation here is he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, church. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. It's what Paul tells this young pastor in Timothy. It's what he tells us. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And, and I, I would venture to say that, that, that most of us in this room would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm here, aren't I? Yeah, you are here. Great, I'm glad you're here. But listen to me. If you are not on a regular basis, and when I mean regular, daily, anytime you are given the opportunity, sharing the gospel, by omission of that, you are ashamed of the gospel. By the omission of not sharing the gospel, you are ashamed of the gospel. You're like, whoa, preacher, time out. Is that not the truth? We are called to share 
the good news of Jesus. And Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Let me ask you this. If you're a believer here this morning, has he changed your life? Come on. If you're a believer here this morning, has Jesus, the king of the universe, the savior of the world, changed your life? Okay, then you have a testimony in which you should not be ashamed. He moved you from death to life. Nothing to do with you, but all to do with what he did. We're not to be ashamed of that. Look, look, here's the, here's the reality for us, is that as believers, we are not commending some idea to the world. We're presenting them the Savior. We're not saying, hey, come, come believe this or this because it's great. No, we're looking at a broken world and saying, hey, we have the answer and his name is Jesus. When you give your life to him, not everything just magically is better, but guess what? You have life now where you didn't before. That's who he is. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus himself says, hey, don't be ashamed of me. And so the question for us is, we're finding joy in sharing about him, about the testimony that he's changed our lives. Church, it, it is, it's igniting to a church when every Sunday somebody gets in there. Right? Because when they, when they get in those waters, there's, there's nothing magical in there. It's just water. Let you know. It's just water. But what happens in these moments is somebody, just like RJ this morning, just like Adley and, and Lane and Cammie and, and, and K Kinsey, we've had some, look, when they get in there, it's nothing magic that happens in there. Boom. But they're proclaiming to the whole world that I belong to Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of it. And so I would wonder for some of you this morning who it's been a while since that happened. What fire needs to be lit under you? So, man, I want to go back to this point where I, before a whole church, went under and came back up and said, I belong to him, and I want everybody to know it. As Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed, Timothy, of the gospel. And then he's going to go on and he's going to say this, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 
and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. The second thing that Paul tells Timothy here is, do not be ashamed. Or do not be ashamed. The second thing, he says, suffer for the gospel. Suffer for the gospel. So, so how do we suffer? You're like, man, I don't want to suffer. Man, we are, the, we, are the, we are the king of comfort, aren't we? How many of you are thankful for AC? Right? Yeah. If our AC goes out, it's like, call everyone. Like, I'm going to call anybody and everybody that might possibly know anything about ACs to get it fixed right now, right? Because we're, we're the kings of comfort. Like, we just like to be comfortable, right? We don't like to suffer in any shape, form, or fashion. But yet, Scripture says this, is that, is that if, we, if we tie ourselves to Christ, we proclaim Him. Jesus said that, hey, they persecuted me. Guess what? They're going to persecute you. And, and so we suffer as believers. We suffer for the gospel. And that's okay. It's okay. Church, can I tell you that? It's okay to suffer for the gospel. But, but how do we suffer? Well, Paul says this. He says, <clears throat> but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So he didn't say, hey, suffering, good luck, right? He says, suffer by the power of God. That God's power is what allows us to suffer. That we lean into him. In the midst of suffering, we lean into him. Because it is his power in us, working in us and through us, that gets us through that suffering. So a polycarp can sit as they're lighting a fire around him and say, I count it all joy. That I would be called worthy to suffer and to die for Christ. We suffer by the power of God. Well, why? Why do we suffer? Look what he says. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How do we suffer by the power of God? Why do we suffer? Because he's worthy of it. Because he's the one that gives you life by no works of your own, but through Jesus. Why do we suffer? Because he's worthy. I read this this week. It's going to be up on the screen. Religious people find God useful, but cross-bearing disciples find him beautiful. Oh, religious people find God useful. Cross-bearing disciples find him beautiful. Why do I suffer? Because he's beautiful. Because he's worthy of my whole life. And if I have to be put to death for the gospel, to live as Christ, to die as gain, I get Jesus either way. 
We suffer by the power of God. We suffer for the goodness and the beauty of God. And then he's going to go on in verse, second part of verse 12. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul says, hey, Timothy, I am convinced. I believe because I am convinced that he is able. How many of you can say this morning that you are convinced and you believe that he is able? That that even in your worst circumstance, he's able. No matter what you walk through, he's able. That's who he is. And Paul declares that, but but he's saying this. We not only do not be ashamed of the gospel, we suffer for the gospel, but the third and final exhortation that Timothy gives here is he says, guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. He, he, He says, hey, Timothy... First of all, God is guarding the gospel. But as believers, we are also called to guard the gospel. You're like, man, I have no idea what it means to guard the gospel. I'm like, like, hide it? Like, what am I doing here? Well, here's what it does, okay? We guard the gospel that's been deposited in us, okay? If we have come to a point in our life where we realize that we are a sinner and we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we we believe that and we confess him as the Lord and the boss of our life. We, we do that and we hold to Jesus and I've got that, the gospel, the good news of Jesus deposited in my heart. And I have that. Paul says then, hey, Timothy, guard that. Well, what does it mean to guard? It means to, to, to take care of it, to nourish it. Because here's what he's going to go on and say. He's going to say this in verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound te- of the sound words, your Bible say me, sound teaching, that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So here's, what it, here's what's going on. He's saying, hey, Timothy, you've been, something's been in, deposited into you. You guard it, and, and, and here's how you do that. You follow sound teaching. You follow the word of God. And the CSB translates it this way, and I tend to like the CSB's translation. It says, hold fast to the pattern of sound teaching, because um, the Greek here, um, that word follow or hold fast, it's a, it's a sailing term. And, and what they meant by that was in the midst of storms, in the midst of something going on on the sea, to hold fast to something, this Greek term that they would use would mean the sailors would grab a hold of the rope and they would hang on. And they would hang on because that rope was attached to the sail and if they let go of that sail, then the, 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 the boat is in disastrous scenario if that sailor lets go of the rope. And so this term here, to hold fast, to follow, means that as the storm rages in your life, you grip tighter. 
And Paul's saying, Timothy, as the storms rage, as you're persecuted, as you suffer, here's what you do. You hold fast to the word of God. You dig in and you hold tighter and you dig deeper to the word of God. Look, there's two things that you and I need in our life to guard the gospel. It is the word of God and it is the Holy Spirit. The word of God and the Holy Spirit. Listen and we'll be done. I know, come on. In Luke chapter 24, there's this time where Jesus is, he's risen from the dead, he's walked out of the tomb, and there's these two men on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking. And Jesus comes up next to them, and, and, and Jesus says this in verse 16, verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? Jesus is like playing with them here, right? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up on, to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That in the midst of these two men and in what they thought was the end of what they had been following, Jesus says, here's the scripture. They were sad and Jesus said, here's the scripture. And he lays it out and, and, and it goes on and they were amazed and they invited him to stay and, and, and then he reveals himself to them. Okay, the word of God and the Holy Spirit. He reveals himself to him. And it says this in verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? Did our hearts not burn within us? Look, he says, Paul tells Timothy here, hold fast, follow the pattern of sound teaching. When life throws things at us, dig into the word of God. When it's good, dig into the word of God. When life is just mediocre, dig into the word of God and rely on the spirit to reveal himself to you. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, as a, as a pastor, as a church at Ephesus, man, guard the gospel. Dig in to the word of God. And then he's gonna give him an example. Right, verses 15 through 18. You are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. 
For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on the day that day. And you well know all the service, service he rendered at Ephesus. Paul says, hey, here's two examples. We got these two guys over here who, who were ashamed of the gospel and were ashamed of me and ran away from the faith. But then you've got this guy Onesiphorus. Who, who ran to me and helped me and served me and was not ashamed of the gospel. And he held tight to it and he suffered for it. In fact, most scholars believe that at this point, Onesiphorus has lost his life at some point for the gospel, that he's already gone. And why Paul would say, bless his house for his service. He gives two examples. And so this morning for us, what example are we? Are we like Julius and Hermogenes who, and I, I love Jesus, but not that much. Or are we like Onesiphorus? And I'm going to run this race with all that I am. And I'm not simply going to find God useful, but I'm going to find him beautiful and worthy of my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that we would let it sink into our hearts, God, and that we would, we, we would let it just take hold. Father, so that in the days of head, when, when, when persecution happens, Father, that you, that we would be reminded that of, of these days when we made a decision to say, I will follow Jesus anywhere. Father, even, even as Polycarp did, in the midst of the flames declaring that he counts it all joy, that you would call him worthy to die for Christ. Father, let us be that kind of disciple. God, move in this time as only you can. And it is the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.